This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Thank you for shining on today. We've got a great journal for girls. I wish I had this when I was a kid. Strong is the new pretty. So powerful and fun. And we have Dr. Daniel Siegel here with Aware, the science of presence. He says presence slows down the aging process. And we'll start with how to cultivate a life of abundance. But first, I want to remind you, coming up Thursday night, the 15th, we'll have a psychic evening with the amazing Priscilla Kerasi. It comes with a light supper and lively communication from this side and the other side. Get your ticket at Casey.co. So we just finished up a three-month monthly coaching circle in Mariondale. Loved it, thanks to all who came. And we'll start up a new three-month session for April, May, and June. Weekend retreats, I've got three lined up for 2019. March, July, and August. And solo sessions are always available too. Just reach out. Okay, you are enough, you have enough, and you are in charge of the story. You're living your story, by the way. Enter Gina LaRoche, who, with Jennifer Cohen, wrote The Seven Laws of Enough. Let's hear the laws, Gina. Law number one is stories matter. We're all shaped by the stories of who we are and where we came from, and also the story of our future, of where we're going. Law number two is I am enough. You are enough, you do enough, and you have enough. Law number three is I belong. You belong, period, full stop, regardless of the stories you tell yourself. Law number four is no one is exempt. We can't isolate ourselves from life's ups and downs. And there is freedom when we stop trying. Mm. Yeah. And law number five is resting is required. Resting or the ability to rest deeply in ourselves allows us to remember the truth of the rest of the laws. Law number six is joy is available. And this um, law just really reminds us to lighten up and have fun and not take ourselves so seriously. And law number seven, I often say, really is the only law. And that is that love is the answer. Love is the answer. All right. You mentioned a couple of times the stories, the stories we tell ourselves and the stories about where we are going. What should the story of where we are going sound like? I'm a coach, so coaches never use the word should. But here's what I offer our clients for us to look into the future. I'd like to use 10 years. And and you thought of an invitation to create a life for yourself that you would find nourishing, peaceful, and comforting. And so in 2028, if you and I were talking, I would say, Casey, what's life like for you now? And you might say, oh, my radio show got syndicated. Um, I moved to the country or um, I, I started raising dogs. I don't know. But you could allow yourself to really create what you're interested in and living a life you're interested in. We often don't see the power of language 
and using language to really declare our future. These declarations like John Kennedy declaring that we will have a man on the moon by the end of the decade was this creating a story about the future. And then we lived into it. All right. Talk to the people who say, when I do that, when I, when I make a declaration and create a story for my future, I feel a little silly. I feel like an imposter. I mean, is it real? Well, fake it till you make it. Um, Well, it's real if you follow it up with right action. It wasn't like Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon and didn't start NASA and pulling together the greatest mathematicians and engineers and, you know, started testing and recruiting. So it wasn't like he sat back and did nothing. So it becomes real through your action if you let the story drive today's actions, and that is already happening. We also call the story is also the context, and our context is decisive, and, and it does drive us today. So whatever, we are, we are living in a story. So if I'm living in a story that I don't want to age, right? That's my story, that I don't want to age. Well, maybe I'm spending my money at the beauty salon or the spa or the plastic surgeon or the makeup counter. I'm actually taking actions today to try to prevent myself from aging, even though that's law number four. You're not exempt from aging, but you, you see people living into their future stories all the time. Right. We are living our future stories. Now that you say it, I just had a big aha. We are living our future stories. Mm-hmm. So let's create, let's be at the cause and not at the effect of them. Right. Let's choose that story. That's exactly right, because I know people right now, they're thinking about their holidays, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. same old, I have to go over here, and I have to do this, and you know, I know this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and they're not uh, forecasting a lot of joy. They're, li- they're creating their story. They're telling their story. They're definitely living their story now. We can change the right. story. That's the story of scarcity, and the book starts out with this scarcity story, and what you talked about is what I call one of the weapons of scarcity, which is obligation. I feel obligated that I have to cook a certain thing or go to a certain house or do a certain ritual for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, and it's not authentic to my interest in this moment, we are living really a scarcity story. Wow. How do we flip it around to tell a story that's uh, uh, abundant? Yeah, so the story of enoughness is something you will have to create for yourself. But I do have, in the book, we talk about the tools of sufficiency. And so oftentimes when I'm feeling uh, one of the weapons of scarcity, and there's several, uh, we just talked about obligation, but there's alienation and fear and shame and resentment and jealousy. One of the things I do is I take one of the tools of sufficiency, like nature or flow or generosity, openness, humor, And I use that against the weapon of scarcity. So, for example, maybe stepping outside into nature might ease the sense of obligation. Or being truthful about my feeling. Like, I actually don't want to make the pecan pie that I've made for the last 15 years. If I see another pecan, I want to throw it at someone. Either can someone else make it or this Thanksgiving, can we have pumpkin pie? Like, really just telling the truth for yourself. Again, a lot of the shifting, particularly in the the early laws, are really around our language and how we tell the truth to ourselves and our community and our families. Tell your story in a new way and expect a big shift. The Seven Laws of Enough, Cultivating Sustainable Abundance. Send an email from the site, casey.co, and enter your name in the drawing to win this book.
But wouldn't it be easier if all the future generations of girls learned this in childhood, that they are enough? Enter Kate T. Parker. The woman who gave us the book Strong as the New Pretty is now out with a guided journal for girls. Tell us your story, Kate. I grew up in New Jersey and was youngest of four and 100% interested and invested in soccer and very thankful to have a family that encouraged me to be loud and that being, you know, have girls having short hair was fine, that pushing on the soccer field was okay, it was encouraged and just honestly, they, they just allowed me to be myself, which I kind of wanted to impart to my girls as well. I have, I'm a mom of two girls. All right. So you're a professional photographer and it also says you're an Iron Man. What is that? So that means I did. I completed an Iron Man triathlon. Why um, isn't it Iron Woman? I think it's just called Iron Man. I agree. I don't know. I, they call the race an Iron Man, and everyone that finishes it is an Iron Man. Okay, you know. So yeah, just checking in. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell you what. This journal that you've created would have changed my life had I had it at say eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Tell everybody about it. Oh my gosh, that's that's such a nice thing to say. So yeah, uh, it's a follow up to the book Strong as New Pretty and it takes the ideas and spirit behind Strong as New Pretty of girls being confident and feeling powerful and finding their voice and figuring out what their passions are and puts them into action encouraging girls to take time away from social media and computers and focus on themselves. I love this. Uh, Just opened up to the middle of the book. There's a page that reads, if you could wave a magic wand and supersize anything, what would it be and why? And then the young ladies Mm -hmm. can fill that in. And on the next page, design a t-shirt that you'd love to see girls wearing everywhere. What I love about this journal is that it allows kids to take the ideas of uh, creating art and creating magic and creating a world, you know, that they want to live in. And it's right there at the end of their pen or pencil. Exactly. Yeah, I wanted to take, I wanted girls to stretch themselves, to think about things in a different way, to ask questions, to practice kindness. So we thought of, I think there's over 100 prompts in the book, and just short little paragraphs or sentences that ask girls to try something new or to include somebody else or to, you know, to practice gratitude in, in a way that they may not have thought about otherwise. Is it wrong to say to a young girl, oh, you're so pretty? No, I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. It's obviously, it's not an insult. But I think thinking about it in a different way, maybe saying, I guess the compliment can be less about something that they, because you have no control of that. You have no control of your looks. You have no control of, of whether or not people think you're pretty. But you do have, you know, if you compliment a girl on her kindness or how smart she is or how hard she's working, I think then the girls get their value from that. And it's less about something that, that's ultimately going to fade it's an empty value, you know, like that they, what they look like, really, they didn't, they didn't have anything to do with. I would encourage people to, to compliment girls and other things, for sure. Okay. Tell me about your girls. What are they into? Uh, my girls are, both love soccer, are big athletes, and really, my younger one loves singing and music and theater, um, and um, my older one also enjoys, you know, like creating videos on and editing them, and, you know, just trying to, trying to encourage them where they seem to have passions is what my husband and I are goal as parents. All right. What else would you like people to know about this movement of yours? Um, it's really basically just trying to 
encourage girls to value themselves for who they are, not what they look like or what their hair looks like, but about who they are on the inside and, and to do that in a way that, that they figure out the thing that they're passionate about or the things that they are passionate about and encourage them to pursue them, um, whatever they are. Now, what kind of feedback are you getting? The journal has it just came out um, yesterday or day before yesterday, and it's been really positive. And then the book has been out for um, about a year and a half, and the feedback from the book was great. It was published in 10 languages in 35 countries, and girls really responded to the message. That was really surpassed my expectations, and I was so happy to hear that, that I wasn't the only one that thought girls needed to hear this message. What do your own girls think of what mom's doing? Um, you know, like most kids, they really don't care that much about what mom's <laughs> job is. <laughs> but I, I did notice my youngest daughter, when I got the journal, I got an early copy in a couple weeks ago. She and her girlfriend were over here and they, they spent like the entire afternoon doing the prompts in the journal. And like I said, my kids are not that interested in what I do. And I guess they, I was, they're kind of like the, my harshest critics. And the fact that she was interested in sharing with her friend, and running around and making paper airplanes and climbing trees and interviewing each other was, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, I was so happy to see that because it was sort of like, I didn't ask her to, she wanted to. So it was a really, it was a great endorsement, I thought, for the journal. For Beautiful. Sure. All right. So we've got the book, Strong is the New Pretty. We've got a guided Journal for Girls, Strong is the New Pretty. What's next? Curriculum for every classroom in the universe? Oh, my gosh. I love that. I <laughs> I, um, I have a, a book about boys, so about celebration of boys for who they are. Basically, the same message as Strong is the New Pretty, but targeted at boys. Um, and it's called The Heart of a Boy, and it comes out in April. Because I was speaking to, you know, lots of schools and and lots of girls and their brothers would come or boys would be at the talks and they would say, you know, where's my book? When are you going to do a book about me? And so I'm really, I'm really glad to say that, that we have, we have an option for you now. The boys are not left out of the conversation. Okay, boys, your book is coming in spring. Do you have a girl who would love this guided journal strong as the new pretty? Email me from the homepage of the website, kckacey.co. So, I took one of my dogs away with me to visit a friend in Harvard, Massachusetts last weekend. Good times, hiking around in the fall leaves. On the way home, I get in the car. The dog is asleep on the seat next to me. I do not turn the radio on. I just drive. Two hours go by in silence, alone, driving. Suddenly, I became very aware of the weight of my clothes on my body, the support of the seat underneath me, the sensation of hovering above the ground while moving forward, I was in some kind of Zen mindfulness state. Dr. Daniel Siegel would say I was strengthening my hub. Then my husband called and asked what I wanted for dinner and the spell was broken. But Dr. Siegel says this way of being, being present and aware, is really good for you. It's called presence. So research is really clear that the more you can have a perceptive awareness where you can be present for life, everything improves. It's kind of remarkable in ways that when I wrote the book and looked at the research and wrote to Evan there, I had to send it to the researchers to say, is this really true? And one of them even wrote to me and said, yes, yes, you're saying things are absolutely true. It reduces inflammation. It improves your immune system. It actually reduces stress. It improves your cardiovascular system. But she said, you left one thing out. She says, you need to say that it slows the aging process. This is like the world's expert in aging with her colleague, Elizabeth Blackburn, who got a Nobel Prize for this. This is Melissa Apple. And so I put in what 
she said as a researcher, it also slows the aging process. So being present is a win-win-win situation all around. I just don't know why they don't teach it to kindergartners, but maybe we'll get there. Let's start with this idea. How did you first come to use this with your patients? What I noticed that for people to change, whether it was in families, because I'm an attachment researcher studying parent-child relationships, or schools, or psychotherapy, people needed to be conscious for intentional change. So I just said to myself, what if we put those two fundamental notions? Integration is health, consciousness is needed for intentional change. And ask the question, could we integrate consciousness? Now, you may say that sounds weird, and so did my patients. But I have a table in my office, which kind of looks like a wheel, where the center is a hub, the outer rim is wood, the center is glass. And so I would take my patients around the table and say, let's integrate consciousness. And they would say, what are you talking about? I would say, well, consciousness basically is the way we can know things, Casey. So if I said to you, good morning, are you aware that I said good morning? Mm-hmm. So you have two things going on there. One, you are aware or you know I said good morning. And then you have the thing you're aware of, which is the sound, good morning, that term. So if we put all the known, the things you're aware of, on the rim, and put the knowing in the hub, this visual image allowed me to then take a singular spoke, which looks like something holding up a table, and we would then imagine it moving around the rim so we could differentiate, make different, or see the uniqueness of all the different things that are known, like what you hear or see or smell or taste or touch. In the first segment, move it over to a second segment, which was the internal sensations of the body, your muscles and bones and internal organs, the feelings you have in your body move the spoke over again to mental activities like thoughts and feelings and memories, then move the spoke over again to your sense of connection of the people and nature around you, the planet. And when people did this, amazingly, their anxiety would reduce, mild to moderate depression would be improved, post-traumatic symptoms would get better, they're dealing with just existential issues of existing, you know, of, of humanity, of being alive on the planet, they would be helped. And when we did a special step of bending the spoke around and exploring the hub itself, people would enter these states of tranquility and clarity that I decided to try it out with my students who are therapists. They started having the same experiences. Their clients had the same experiences. So then, as a scientist, I decided, okay, I'll do it as an educator for, in workshops, but as a scientist, I'll record all the findings when people take the microphone and share what they went through. So I did it with 10,000 people systematically in these workshops with similar findings no matter whether a person never meditated a day in their life or was running a meditation program. They had very similar outcomes. And now I've done it with way more than 10,000 people. So that's where the book comes from is saying, wow, these results are so universal and so interesting. Let's explore how you can bring health to your life in all these ways we've just said. And then see how you can apply this in your life. So when you say good morning to me, I should train myself to become aware of how I'm feeling about what just happened? Well, the simplest starting place is to even talk about Billy, a five-year-old. I talk about him in the book. You know, I do teach this to, to teachers and have to teach it in school. So Billy got kicked out of one kindergarten for beating up a kid on the yard. He got transferred to another school. And Mrs. Smith was the new teacher he had, and she teaches all her kindergarten kids how to draw the image of the wheel of awareness. It's not a meditation practice, but it's a drawing. The second day, she writes me an email and says, Billy comes to her during recess and says, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Smith, you've got to give me a break. I'm on the yard. Joey took my blocks. I'm about to hit him. I'm lost on my rim. i got to get back to my hub. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
And and so I said, well, write to me back and tell me how he does. He did beautifully using this framework where if you can separate the knowing from the known, so the known in this case is his impulse to hit Joey. That's what he learned in his family, in his neighborhood, at the other school. That was a learned habit. But if he could separate the knowing, which is his awareness, from the known, the impulse, he creates this beautiful space, as they classically say, between impulse and action. And that's where emotional and social intelligence rests. So Billy could learn this. And then I talk about other people, you know, who are older than that, who use the wheel in some very profound ways that I talk about that the reader themselves can learn to do too, where essentially the starting place is, as one mother said to me, you know, when I learned to separate the knowing from the known, everything changed. I was teaching it to her adolescent son, and she, I said, well, how did it change? She said, I thought I was my thinking, but now I realize thoughts are just something that are a part of me. They're not the whole of me. You are not your thoughts. Okay, I think we need to go over it again. The wheel of awareness, the knowns, the knowing, the hub, the rim. Could you give it to me all again? Now that we've had this talk, I want to see if it's clearer. Sure, but it goes like this. Picture a wheel with a center hub and an outer rim. This is just a map or a metaphor. So this is a map that's going to take you to a very deep understanding of the mind and then even strengthen the mind. So how do you do it? You put consciousness on this map, and consciousness has two elements that usually people don't think about. But once you do, everything changes. The two elements are, we'll put in the hub the knowing. Like when I said good morning, you knew I said good morning. That's awareness. Then on the rim, we put the good morning itself. That's the thing you're aware of. And when people realize, oh my gosh, I can rest in the hub like Billy and just be aware, be present for all the things happening on my rim, in his case, an impulse in his arm to hit Joey. When he sits in the hub, that's where presence is. That's awareness. He's able to then have a choice and make a change in what he would otherwise be doing on automatic pilot. You saying good morning doesn't have much of a charge for me. Can we put something else in the hub? Sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. You name it, Casey. What do you want to put You in name there? it. You're the doctor. Tell me what people react to. Oh, my gosh. Well, it could be anything. It could be a real worry you have about a loved one, you know, and a big fear that is paralyzing you. Mm-hmm. It could be ang- anger you have towards a colleague. Um, it could be a memory from the past that is really terrifying you. Let's say a trauma you had and you haven't worked it through. If you can sit in the hub and invite the memory of something painful in, and instead of it taking you over and you're swallowed up by the memory, you now have the strength of this hub of awareness. So you can literally be present as the memory, in a sense, plays on a screen of your mind where you can look at it, stop it, rewind it, watch it again. And instead of it taking you over, you are able to take it over. And amazingly, when you look at what the mechanisms that allow you to do that are, I mean, this is just a metaphor, it's a map, but in the book I talk about that and I teach the reader how to deeply understand the nature of the mind so that it frees their mind up from you know, traumatic memories, from relationships that are difficult with anxiety and fear and anger. Now we have the research that absolutely shows all the molecules we know about in your body, like let's say inflammatory molecules. Being present reduces them by changing the control of your genes that regulate inflammation. Your immune system is improved. The way your heart functions is improved. These are all research findings. I'm not just making this up. And even an enzyme that 
the ends of your chromosomes and not only keep yourself healthier, but actually slow the aging process. This is research from the Nobel Prize winner, Elizabeth Blackburn, and her colleague, Alyssa Eppel. And your presence of mind that is the hub. When you strengthen the hub, you actually improving all these things. And the mind is kind of like, you think about awareness, the mind's awareness as like a cup of water. If life dishes out something challenging, whether it's a memory or a difficult emotion, or think of that as a tablespoon of salt. If your cup of that hub of awareness is just the size of an espresso cup, can you see, what does it taste like when we put in that tablespoon of salt into that small amount of water? Terrible. That's going to taste Terrible. bad. Mm-hmm. That can be make bad. It could be hard to live with drinking that. You can't drink it. Think about if we could expand that container to the size of 100 gallons at least. And now we take that same tablespoon of salt of life's challenges. We put it now not in the espresso cup, but we've widened your hub and made it 100 gallons. We mix it up. What does that water taste like? Oh, I don't even taste the salt. You don't even taste it. You just go through life. So the same challenge, the tablespoon of salt, becomes something that you just take in with presence, with awareness. So strengthen your hub and sit in the center of your groundedness with meditation and awareness. You see the facets of your life in the spokes around you and keep what's happening in the moment out in the rim of the wheel before you invite it in. Aware, the science and practice of presence. That's the book. Send an email from the homepage of kc.co if you'd like a copy of Dr. Daniel Siegel's new book. We'll have a drawing on Monday. Our thought for the day is from Eckhart Tolle, who said, To know yourself as the being underneath the thinker, as the stillness underneath the mental noise, the love and joy underneath the pain, is freedom, salvation, enlightenment. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.